0: Well, it's good to have you here tonight. We are looking at the Book of Acts. We've been in the Book of Acts for quite a while, and we are uh, kind of starting the last lap. We're down to the last four chapters, the last few chapters of Acts, and the last four uh, times to take a look at those chapters. And so we are in uh, really the last major section of the Book of Acts, We haven't been uh, emphasizing an outline or uh, the structure a lot, but we are in that last phase of the book of Acts where the entire section is about the Apostle Paul and how the Lord used a series of circumstances to put him in Rome, to send him to Rome. One of the things that we, we really see throughout the book of Acts is the providence of God opening doors for the gospel. And I want you to have that in mind as we look at these chapters. The Apostle Paul wanted to go to Rome. Do you remember that? He said that when he wrote to the Romans. He said, I, I want to come. I want to come and, and uh, gift uh, use the gifts that God has given me to minister to the church. He desired to go to Rome. Well, he was going to get there, but probably not the way he expected to. And the ministry, when he got there, didn't look like he thought it was going to look. But He had to trust in the providence of God, and that will be uh, something that we see over the next four weeks. Today we're actually going to start, um, at least my assigned text, is to start in Acts chapter 22 and verse 30. In Acts chapter twenty. 2 and verse 30, though, we already find the Apostle Paul is in hot water. He's in trouble from an earthly standpoint. He's right where God wants him to be, and we never like that when we're in trouble, but we're right where God wants us to be, but it's the good place to be. So I want to give a little bit of background in case you maybe missed uh, a Sunday or just to refresh your mind. I find there's a very interesting character in these chapters, and he is the commander of a military contingent who is in Jerusalem, and his responsibility is to keep peace among the Jews. How's that for a job? Keep peace in Jerusalem. That's your job. And actually, your life depends on it. Very many times, when these people failed in these kind of responsibilities, uh, their seniors would take them out and execute them uh, because of the political embarrassment, and that way they gave them somebody to blame and they would just get rid of you. When this man finds himself in a very difficult place, I would say he finds himself between a rock and a hard place because, on the one hand, he has this a squabble going on between a bunch of the Jewish leaders and a prominent Jewish traveling rabbi, this guy that came into town named Paul, but evidently the Jewish people know about him, probably took the commander totally by surprise. But you've got this squabble going on between these Jewish leaders and this prominent traveling Jewish rabbi, uh, apostle, whatever this guy was, whatever titles he was using. But then he comes to find out, much to his concern, that it's also a squabble between the Jewish leadership and a Roman citizen. And he has already wrongfully treated the Roman citizen, which puts him in a very bad spot. The Roman, Roman citizenship was incredibly important and very significant in those days. So as the Story unfolds in chapters 21 and 22 that this this commander is simply trying to find out what in the world is going on. Have you ever had a time when your children were in the middle of a squabble and you come into the room and you're trying to figure out how it all started so that you can try to affix some kind of responsibility and accountability and, and give some structure to the thing? Yeah, good luck with that. I, and I don't in any way want to be to, to sound disparaging or or critical or 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 prejudiced uh, in in what I say but it is very I think we we I think we have biblical precedent and biblical text that will tell us that there were a number of people who lived in the Mediterranean world who let's just say they had a low flashpoint they could get aroused and stirred up rather easily. Do you know any Mediterranean, people of Mediterranean descent? I know I've, I've mentioned this before. So, so far, nobody sawed off the branch behind me when I went out on the limb this far. Northern Mediterranean, Eastern Mediterranean, those personalities that, that tend to be very emotive, tend to be very expressive, and some of them have very little in the way of cultural uh, taboos about what you don't say out loud and in somebody else's face. Uh, Okay, are you with me? I mean, am I? Okay, I don't want to go out on this limb alone, you know. When you read your Bible, you need to put that kind of a perspective, especially in the Old Testament and into the New Testament. There is a volatility in the personalities And we are going to see it big time in these chapters. Uh, In in, in chapter 21, uh, the Apostle Paul goes into the temple innocently, just simply going in there to participate in uh, typical Jewish ceremonial ritual things. And he has some people with him, and the Jews saw him in there, and they just, explode. The verse 30 of chapter 21 said the whole city was provoked. The people rushed together and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple and immediately the doors doors were shut while they were seeking to kill him. A report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort that all of Jerusalem was in confusion. They mobbed the apostle Paul. Dozens, scores, maybe hundreds And they are beating on him. They are trying to kill him. They're literally trying to kill him. Have you seen any videos of mobs like that in the last few years? It's an ugly sight. It's a deadly sight. And so this Roman officer brings his soldiers into the temple area And they grab the Apostle Paul and keep the Jews from continuing to beat him. And so they grab a hold of him, chain him, and start dragging him out of there, trying to find out, what did you do? What in the world did you do? Verse 34 of chapter 21 said, Among the crowd some were shouting one thing and some another. And when he could not find out the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. So, so this officer says, all right, we've got to get him off the street. We've got to get him back in the barracks where we can conduct a, 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 a sane and reasonable conversation. Verse 34, 35 mentions the violence of the mob. The multitude in verse 36 is shouting, following, following, Following the officers and the soldiers, something away with him, away with him, away with him, get rid of him. When they get back to the barracks, verses 37 and following, the apostle Paul has a discussion with this uh, Roman officer about citizenship, and the commander examines him, orders for him to be examined by scourging. And this is when this, the discussion comes out more about Roman citizenship. And um, the right of a Roman citizen was uh, you never scourged a Roman citizen until after a trial, if there was a punishment decided at a trial. You never scourged a Roman citizen to find out information, anybody else you drag him in off the street, you could beat him up, you could whip him, you could, you know, do anything you wanted, and and you could just call it your interrogation. But if you were a Roman citizen, they couldn't treat you that way. So this commander, he's simply trying to find out what's going on. So, verse thirty, of, um, that I jumped to chapter twenty-two anyway, uh, I did verse thirty of chapter 22, the next day, wishing to know for certain why he had been accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the councils to assemble, and brought Paul down and set them before them. So this man says, all right, we're going to do this reasonably, we're going to do this orderly. So he has Paul come in the next day, summons the Jewish uh, council, probably the Sanhedrin, the chief priests and so on, to come in, All right, so was, this is not going to be the crowd in the street that reacted. This is not going to be the mob that, that uh, so quickly dissolved into mob violence. This is going to be an orderly hearing, a preliminary hearing, to find out what the charges are. That's, that's good legal procedure. This is, as you go through this, it, it's so amazingly volatile that it's almost comical. I guess if it wasn't so anti-Jesus Christ in their reaction, it would be comical. But in verse 1 of chapter 23, the Apostle Paul looks at the council and he starts with one simple statement. Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. High priest says, smack that guy! He, He gets one sentence out and he gets smacked by the Servant of the high priest, someone on the staff of the high priest. And then Paul, not realizing that it was the high priest, uh, said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Can, this is, can, you believe, can you just imagine being there? Do you sit to try me according to the law, and in violation of the law, you order me to be struck? You are a hypocrite. And then somebody else says, watch out who that you're talking to. That's the high priest don't revile the high priest. And Paul says, oh, I didn't realize that. Didn't realize he was the high priest because the word of God says, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Notice he did not retract his statement that the guy was a hypocrite. I don't know if we have the complete account here or whether there was other discussion that went on, but... Immediate, uh, it sounds like almost immediately Paul perceives that there are both Sadducees and Pharisees present. Now, remember that Paul has been away from the scene of Jerusalem for possibly 30 years. He was, he was known in this city by most, of these, by most of the leaders who were there when he lived there <clears throat> early in the book of Acts. But we have almost 30 years have gone by. I don't know about you, but when I go back to my hometown, if I walk down the street and see even one person that I recognize, uh, most of you live here in your hometown, so I guess I'm talking to the wrong crowd. But when I go back to Pennsylvania and walk down the street, it, it's rare that I see somebody. I have been gone 45 years. It's rare that I see somebody that I know. Here's, here's Paul comes back to town, and, and he doesn't know these people just by sight, but as he's interacting, he perceives that some of them are Sadducees and some of them are Pharisees. And he knows the theological difference between the two of them, and one of the sticking points was the resurrection. So he says in verse 6 at the end of the verse, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of Pharisees. I am on trial for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. That's why they've grabbed me. As he said this, there occurred a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Do you think that might be an understatement? And the assembly was divided. Verse 8 explains why, because of the resurrection. Verse 9, and there occurred a great uproar. A great uproar. Here's this commander has these people coming into the barracks or his office or wherever they are, trying to conduct a reasonable hearing, and he's got an uproar on his hands of these Jews having this theological argument in the middle of a hearing. By the way, do you know that when the emperors of Rome, when the official central government of Rome tried to find people to send to govern in Israel, they had a very hard time finding people that would want to go there. It was considered the end of the world, and it was a political disaster to go there. If you had any aspirations for a political career, and they sent you to govern in Israel, you knew your, polit- your political future was pretty much over, because it was a lose-lose proposition. Here's this commander trying to conduct a hearing, and he's got this Jewish theological argument going on. If this was the Sanhedrin, there might have been 70 people in the room. Can you imagine this? So it's this great uproar. Notice the descriptive language. Farther on in verse 9, the Pharisees stood up, began to argue heatedly. Can you imagine that? Verse 10 a great dissension was developing. (laughs) No kidding. You've You've got people talking at the same time. You've got people raising their voices. You've got people shouting at each other. You've got people going at it verbally. That Now they don't even care about Paul anymore. Now they're after each other. So... The commander has to pull Paul out of the fire again. This, If if I've read the scriptures here, right, this is the third time that the apostle Paul has to pull, uh, that, that the commander has to pull Paul out of a tense situation. And it says the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. This is the Jewish leadership. These are the chief priests. These are the scribes. These are the... Pharisees, these are the theological PhDs of the culture. And he has to snatch Paul from the fire a third time, brings him into the barracks. And so there is Paul again overnight. And verse 11 though the Lord ministers to Paul. On the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. Paul, I'm sending you to Rome. Well, what that means is, that this crowd isn't going to kill him. Right? That's good news. If you're you're in a very difficult situation now and the Lord tells you that something's going to happen several months from now or sometime down, that's good news, right? You're going to survive. You're going to get through this. So we see the providence of God, God sharing with Paul. This is very similar to... The Lord sharing with Paul at the city of Corinth. Paul, don't be afraid. I have many people in this city. I want to take a few minutes and remind us of why the Lord might give Paul this kind of encouragement. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 45, I just want to go down through the New Testament here, the times when the Jewish crowds reacted against Paul. Acts 13, verse 45, the first chapter recording Paul's gospel ministry after he left the city of Antioch the first time. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul, and they were blaspheming. Verse 50, the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city, and they instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Acts 14 and verse 2, But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the mons of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Chapter 14, verse 5, And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, Chapter 14, verse 19, But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. These are Paul's own countrymen. Such is their hatred of the truth of Jesus being the Messiah that they're willing to kill the messengers who proclaim that message. This is the Jewish people. Now, Gentiles did this as well, but throughout the book of Acts, most of the persecution comes from the Jewish people throughout this epi- the, the book of Acts. Acts chapter 17 and verse 5, But the Jews, becoming jealous, taking along some of the wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. That one didn't uh, directly affect Paul. Others prevented him from getting into that. In verse 13 of 17, But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul and Berea also, they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. When you look at the New Testament, when these crowds get whipped up into a mob frenzy, there is no rationality, there is no reasoning, there is utter emotional chaos, there is hatred, and, and, and it, is, it is an open, a revelation of the wicked hearts of men in their hatred for God. It is the the spirit of Cain at work in the hearts of men. Cain killed his brother Abel. Why? Because he was mad at God. Well, God doesn't have a nose to punch. But if your brother loves God, then you punch him in the nose. And that's why Cain killed Abel, and he literally beat him to death. We don't know how, but he literally beat him to death. And that is the same mentality that's coming across over and over and over again. In verse 12 of Acts 18, while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat. Acts chapter 20 and verse 3. On his way to Jerusalem, there he spent three months, and there was a plot formed against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, so he decided to return through Macedonia. And Paul said in chapter 20, verse 19, Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. And so here's Paul in Jerusalem, and again, he, 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 got, he got one sentence out. One sentence. He didn't even get to share his testimony. He did get, uh, he, he had asked of the commander an opportunity to speak to the Jewish people and he allowed him that audience, but there again, He he was sharing his testimony, and the Jews were willing to hear his testimony until he got down to the part where he said, then God sent me as a messenger to the Gentiles. And uproar, chaos again. That was the second time the commander saved Paul from a crowd. And so it is no small thing in verse 11 of chapter 23 when the Lord came to Paul at night. Isn't that precious that the Lord would do that for his servant? Not just send an angel, not just a dream. The Lord stood at his side. Wow. The Lord cares. He cared enough for Paul here to come down and give him this message. You are going to survive this. I'm going to, you're going to get out of Jerusalem. You're going to go to Rome, and you're going to witness to me there, witness of me in Rome. Well, the, the, when it was day, verse 12 of Acts 23, <clears throat> the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. I find that a very interesting verse. What, have you ever thought about that verse? What comes to your mind when you think about that verse? They're going to be hungry. How many of them died of starvation? How many of them gave up? I'm guessing they all gave up. But they all vowed to a man... We are are not going to eat or drink until we have killed Paul. Yeah, good luck with that. There were more than 40 who formed this plot. Forty people vow that they are going to kill the apostle Paul. So this group comes to the chief priests and elders and says, we are going to kill Paul. So why don't you arrange a time, and uh, then we can be ready to slay him. And uh, they figured out a way to work with the officials to do this. And, of course, the officials are more than willing to help with all of this, the chief priests and all of these. They'd be glad to get rid of Paul, too. But in verse 16, the providence of God brings along Paul's nephew, the son of Paul's sister, and he heard about the ambush. And when he heard, he came to the barracks where Paul was being held and spoke with Paul. Now, it's very possible that Paul was being held uh, right near the, the temple. There was actually a, a, a military installation at one quarter of the temple grounds, and that very well could be where Paul was being held. But at any rate, when Paul heard the message, he called one of the centurions and he said, take this young man, if you will, uh, to see the commander. This young man has a message the commander needs to hear. And so the commander, then hearing it, uh, about this plot, in verse 22, says to the young man, uh, tell no one that you have mot- notified me of these things. And he immediately begins to make preparations to move Paul out of the city of Jerusalem, out of the region of Judea, and down to the fortress of of Caesarea Maritima, that's down on the coast of uh, Israel. It uh, It is ruins today, but it was the political capital of the Roman province of Israel at the time of the first century. Jerusalem was not the political center for the Roman government in that land, but Caesarea was down on the coast. It's a beautiful spot. Uh, I hope to show you some pictures of it in a week or two. So he calls to his two centurions, get 200 soldiers ready by the third hour of the night to proceed to Caesarea with 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen. They were also to provide mounts to put Paul on, bring him safely to Felix the governor. And so he wrote Felix a letter to accompany Paul. So they make preparations that night to get Paul out of town. You can read the letter. He explains who this man is, what was going on, and why he sent him uh, down to the governor, Governor Felix. We are going to see in the next several chapters of uh, the, the proceedings that Paul attends under Felix and other political officials, and he has opportunity to give testimony to these men. And so in verse 31... Uh, they begin the process of moving Paul down uh, to what he calls here Herod's Praetorian. Verse 33, when these had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. When he had read it, he asked from what province he was, and when he learned he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing after your accusers arrive also giving orders for him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. He was kept there in the jail, right next to Herod's, uh, really attached to Herod's uh, headquarters, uh, right on the seashore of the Mediterranean. And there he was held, we find out later, for two years. History. Events. As you read through these things, try to put yourself in the sandals, of the men and the women who walk and talk and live through these events. Try to put yourself into the spiritual challenges, into the emotional atmosphere, into the difficulties, into the blessings of the setting and the situation. And as we go through these next several chapters, there are a few things I would ask you to keep in mind. Number one is God's providence in the life of Paul in moving him from Israel to Rome in God's time and in God's way. Paul wanted to go to Rome to minister to the church. God wanted Paul to go to Rome to preach to Nero. Which would you choose? Gulp. Well, if you go preach to Nero, you might lose your head. Well, that's what God wants Nero to hear the gospel. And along the way, several key political people are going to hear the gospel, declared very clearly. That wasn't Paul's plan, but it's God's plan. So we see God's providence. We also see Paul's perseverance through these chapters. The apostle Paul uh, lived several years under restricted activity, arrest, house arrest, we call it. Uh, It wasn't house arrest in Caesarea. It was two years of incarceration followed by house arrest in Rome. In the meantime, his companion, Dr. Luke, we don't read anything about Dr. Luke here, but many think that it was during the two years of Paul's imprisonment in Caesarea that Luke went out and did all the personal interviews and talked to all the people who were eyewitnesses, and that is when he started writing the gospel of Luke. And so God's Providence was to provide an opportunity for Luke to be able to give us some scripture. God is always doing more than we can see and has far greater things going on than what we can understand. There's also the need for us to have and reflect on our opportunities for freedom. Paul lost his freedom for a time for the sake of the gospel we should be grateful for our freedom we're meeting here this morning or this evening in a building that's warm and comfortable and we are not in fear uh, my biggest fear is that a tree's going to blow down on my car out there in the parking lot but <clears throat> If that happens, that's okay. You and I are among a very few privileged generations in the last 2,000 years who have lived free of fear from persecution. It's been very, very rare in church history. We should be mindful of that as we read these chapters. And in that same vein, we should be grateful that there were men and women who have gone before us who were willing to pay the price of their own blood and their own lives and their own loss of freedom because they loved the gospel. We can be very grateful for the long line of saints who've gone before us who have been willing to pay whatever price had to be paid to preserve the truth, to stand for the word, and to preach the gospel. We have a great many things to think about as we finish these last few chapters of the book of Romans. I trust God will both enrich us, encourage us, and challenge us as we go through them. Will you stand with me? And we will have a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, we can sit in a comfortable chair in our living room and read through these chapters in a few minutes, go get another cup of coffee and sit down comfortably in our chair again. But the people who lived through these years, of these chapters, lived through some very difficult times, the Apostle Paul especially. Father, I pray that what truth there is in these chapters that you have for each one of us, that you would apply it to our hearts. The example of men of courage, men of conviction, the example of those who stood against opposition and persecution, a gratitude for what you've given us and the privileges that we have, an appreciation of your great providence in history, that we can see Reading back in the book of Acts, help us, Father, to trust you in your providence in our daily living. That's the real challenge for us, is to trust your providence today and tomorrow. So strengthen us, Father, I pray, by the Spirit of God, that Jesus Christ might receive honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.